we we create an industry out of it, we over-engineer it, we freak ourselves out, and then we get lost in it and think we're not doing it properly. Hello and welcome to the Making the Difference podcast with me, your host, Kirsty Gilchrist, where I get to speak to different leaders from around the world who are currently making a difference. This podcast is my playground where I get to deep dive into the world of strategy where people share how they're reaching their vision, the highs and the lows so that you can listen, reflect and act. So come and join me and see how you too can make a difference. So I am joined today by Helen, Helen Chambers, Chambers Consultant. I am really quite chuffed that you're here. Thank you very much. We are both strategy nuts. Mm-hmm. We have worked together. I've worked for you and with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we both think of strategy quite a lot. So I think that today would be absolutely fantastic to be able to talk about how to make a difference and, and really just get into what's been so important for you in strategy in your life and, and maybe get into the, the hows and the whys and also your journey as well, because you have been a leader. You are a leader, but you've led in many different ways. I think particularly when it comes to making a difference, you have already made a massive difference to Scotland. Yeah, thank you. Um, and continue to. It would be better to come from you, I think, in terms of your journey and, and your achievements. So really, first question, given the name of the podcast, what difference do you want to make and how? I thought about this for quite a long time. It's a very good question. And I think it's one of the key things that's actually connected with strategy. For me is that I've come to Scotland, I've lived most of my life in Scotland from being 18, and it's actually a country that I really care about. The difference I want to make is that I want Scotland to be really different. And this isn't a nationalist point or a political point with regards to the constitution. But actually, I think that when you have a nation of just over 5 million people with the resources that Scotland has, and by by that I mean in the broadest sense, from its people, its places, its landscape, its natural resources, the income it has, whether either that's through a business community or through state funding, I think there is the potential for much, much better lives than many of people in Scotland have. And I think that also that kind of slightly shames me from a moral perspective that I live in a country that has so many things that it could get right, and yet we still have so many people that struggle, I was going to say, on a day-to-day basis, but I think right now it could possibly be on an hour-to-hour basis. Yeah. So there's something for me about my commitment to the country I've adopted as my home, but there's also thing something for me about people, because there's a lot of people really busting a gut to make a very positive different difference in Scotland. And I think sometimes they just need a little bit of scaffolding yeah. to really line up the plan, the skills, abilities, resources, whether it's people or money or time or whatever that is, to make max- maximum impact. And I think often it's like just just adjusting the gears a bit so that something really runs, all the potential is there, but yeah. just to get that going in a way so that it's actually really running really smoothly, sort of a dream-like feeling as the gears are going around in a perfect way. And that's what I like doing when I work with people is just yeah. to sort of release what they already have. And I know that maybe sometimes that sounds a bit trite about releasing the potential of individuals and possibly a bit patronising. But I think that for me, it's just like just tweaking a bit so that people can really fly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how I work as well, is in, in terms of the, the, the sort of step process of 
you're actually creating energy by helping them have clarity. And so once they've got that energy, then it's like they can completely fly. And like you say, with the scaffolding, it enables them to have those steps forward and help. I suppose it's helping them to see where it is they're going and what they want to Uh, see and happen. And I think sometimes people get very tangled up. They almost kind of tie their own shoelaces together before starting to to run. And you can just point that out carefully and gently and then and then help them untangle the things they've got tangled up with and get things out of the way because I think we often get very limited by things that are immediate and that that blocks us from doing the big stuff or the longer term things. So that moves us nicely to uh, the next the next question that I had in in my mind which is what, what does strategy mean to you? in the context of what you've just been talking about? I think the temptation around strategy is to overcomplicate it. I went into a bookshop recently and looked at the the number of shelves of books that are about strategy and felt, even though I've been doing this for a long time, even just felt a little intimidated by mm. that. And I think actually we, we create an industry out of it, we over-engineer it, we freak ourselves out and then we get lost in it and think we're not doing it properly. And I'm waving my hands around with inverted commas there. And we forget what, what it's actually about. And the strategy for me fundamentally is what is your big plan? Where mm-hmm. do you want to go to in three to 10 to 20 to 30 years, depending on what your scale of what you're trying to achieve is? And I sort of highlighted there, hopefully vocally, your big plan. Mm. Because I think there are many things these days where people triangulate them so, themselves so much on what either is the market, if there's a B Corp or what a policy is or someone else's strategy or what the current funding systems mm-hmm. are, that you actually forget what your purpose is. That's and absolutely. And I think that's where I very much come to as well, because it feels that there's a real kind of um, masculine, feminine thinking or right brain, left brain, or that this is what you should do. And this is what the textbook says without which m- misses out that kind of vision and purpose and, and actually what you're bringing to it as an individual. I think there are a lot of engagements now because we're so bombarded by so many experts or so-called experts telling us how to do things. We 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 second-guess ourselves or tri- third, fourth-guess ourselves yeah. and we lose confidence and it becomes performative. Yeah. And that a lot of engagements between people in meetings or when doing planning is that it's almost as if you've done the process properly. And obviously, if you're doing a process, you probably ought to do it properly. But that's kind of enough. Yeah. And actually, the more you can do a fancy process, the better the outcome will be. And actually, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think you can overcook it. And sometimes clarity is the point rather than a very dense, long document that just just is death by boredom. But I think there is a very performative element these days. And for me, it's about trying to get people away from that. And sometimes, pragmatically, you then have to go and be performative, whether it's to a funder or an investor or somewhere else. But you need to know when you are doing that for a purpose or when you're all kidding each other in a room. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being completely authentic about it, isn't it? Which I think can, like you say, can be lost in the process because... The, the process becomes the be-all and end-all rather than actually the end of yeah. it. Yeah, and I think a process of doing a strategy is always, unless it's really rubbish, is always pretty useful, but often it is actually the process. It's the thinking yeah. 
it's good to have a concise document so you can remind yourself of what that thinking was. But if that document starts to become a very long document, it just almost dies the minute it's issued. Yeah. And we, you know, we've all seen this. It goes on a shelf somewhere. It gets dusted off in the 11th of the 12th month before you have to do an annual report. Yeah. And everyone has a little bit of a panic and then retrofits what it is they've actually done against what they should have done. <laughs> and that's, that's not how you ought to use something like that. It actually should be a tool not necessarily in the day to day, but perhaps sometimes yes in the day to day, but certainly on a weekly and monthly and, and, yeah. and three monthly basis as a, as a guiding star. And that doesn't mean to say that you don't change things because we're in an environment now where things are changing all the time. But again, it's that check back about where do we really want to go to and is that yeah. still relevant? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a really key point. And that the process, that's where the shift in mindset can come if it's the 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 process of thinking about what your strategy might be and where you are, particularly mm-hmm. if it's done with more than one person. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, it's for anything, particularly if you want to make a difference, needs to have all the people and all the voices. And, and a common understanding. Often we use the same language to mean completely different things. Yes, and that's when if you're doing the good thinking at the beginning and having very honest conversations and very open conversations, that's when you ought to bring those points out. Yeah not in December of us beginning of year year one that that started in April. Yes, exactly. So, Helen, I know that you've had had quite an amazing journey, actually, right up until this point. So so how have you got to where you are right now, other than in a car? (laughs) I (laughs) don't say that. I cycled (laughs) all the way from Edinburgh and didn't use any carbon whatsoever. When I was preparing some notes for this, I wrote down one word, which was eclectically. (laughs) Um, I once had a boss who, when I was looking at within government, when I was looking at what I was going to do next, and I had various options, and I was thinking about what I actually ended up doing. And she said, well, obviously, Helen, that wouldn't be the natural route progression. And I thought, I'm not sure I've done anything in my career that would be seen to be the natural route for progression. And that's all worked quite well. So that was actually quite a liberating experience, but perhaps not in the manner that she intended. I started with a science degree in marine biology. And everyone gets very excited when you say that and sort of has these visions of you um, swimming with dolphins. But unfortunately, at that time, we weren't, no one actually really gave much more, gave much <laughs> trying to use the, start again. I'm trying to not swear at this point of view. Did not care about the environment quite as much as we do now. So at that point, I then kind of got into some activist work with, and this shows how long ago it was kind of gay activist work, but I became convener of the Scottish Homosexual Rights Group. So that just ages the whole, the whole thing and was a founder of the Equality Network. So kind of cut my teeth on lobbying Westminster in the mid nineties and then started working with the Scottish Parliament in the end of the nineties and the early two thousands. So I did quite a lot of work there and that was just on an activist basis and learned an awful lot in that period. But also then in an employment way, I went through a number of kind of social policy areas. So I've worked in HIV at the time at which it was just the end of the kind of massive wave of death and where we were starting to get treatment. So it was just at that cusp point. So I worked in direct services there and then moved over into policy I've worked on tobacco control and the things that came in in Scotland that I think were very, very leading the way at that time. And 
kind of bold but not in a sort of mad way. They were bold enough and pragmatic enough to actually work. And I worked in with carers, um, social policy, which I think was critical 20 years ago and is probably even more critical now. And is I think things have moved forward a lot, but there's still a lot further than that can go. And certainly as the demography of Scotland and other countries that are similar to Scotland changes, it's going to be more of an issue than less of an issue. So that kind of gave me a, a quite a broad sense of, of some of the struggles and challenges there were in Scotland for a number of communities. And then I took that into government where I was head of child poverty policy. And that's where I then sort of flipped over into an environment where you start to see some of the problems of how difficult it is actually to spend money well yeah. and make change. You know, and there are, it's very easy to make snide comments or criticise civil servants, but on the whole, they are trying to do things well yeah. under significant pressure with a lot of constraints that they wish weren't there. So then that gave me the experience of rather than trying to influence ministers from the outside, work with ministers and developing policy. And again, because it was child poverty, it was cross-cutting. So it gave me quite a view across the landscape within Scottish government, but also outside Scottish government. Because you are actually in quite a unique position, I think, from having had that experience in Scottish government and seeing the system as it is governmentally and making change there. And I think something that I really realised was that often people are trying to do the same things, mm. but they're using different language. Yeah. And someone, um, a woman uh, up at Edinburgh University, when I was describing what I was doing, she said, ah, you're a brokercrat. And it's a, a, a quite an ugly collapse of two words together. <laughs> but actually what I was doing is I was brokering. Yeah. Is that I was getting two sets of people who generally intended to do the same thing walking alongside and going in the same direction within government within government yeah. and also when i came out of government i was seconded as a civil servant into one of scotland's major trusts yeah and that was a partnership between government and trust and the charitable sector and voluntary sector and i was able to 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 make that work yeah it was almost i don't know whether sort of the, the, the diplomatic service of the voluntary sector but or quite what it was but it was just it was it was brokering and I think that quite often when you're talking with when people from different sectors try to work together, and I have a very deep and fundamental belief that that is what is required to drive social change. And it requires different actors doing different things at different yeah. times. It's not a role of equals all the time. Right. The, the intent and goodwill is there, but the systems, the language, the culture gets in the way. And if you have someone who can understand what's going on for other people, you can actually take some of the heat out of it or positively use that heat for positive energy rather than just all getting very cross with each other. So would you say that you were, did you know that you were strategic while you were in government? Were you actively being strategic and how difficult was that or, or not? I think it's very interesting with, with government because government has the is the body that has the potential to be very strategic because it's got its hands mainly on the biggest levers. Yeah. But it also operates in very short time cycles. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it can operate on time cycles that are inside a day. Yeah. 
that, that something can have kick off in the press in the morning and the, the policy teams are running around like mad and the press teams and special advisors and trying to make everything work. Yeah. And, and then at the end of the day, you're in a different place and you're all that completely wiped out. And, and that's an old tension of having to be very, very big and very, very long term, whilst at the same probably having some of the most immediate pressures that anyone has. Yeah. So I think that was probably my frustration, actually, that stuff was probably more time and effort was expended on what was short term and ephemeral yeah. than the long term plans. Yeah. And I think that I suspect it's got worse. It's that there's so much external pressure on yeah. ministers, cabinet secretaries and civil servants to deliver. The time to actually sit back and really think things through yeah. is, is, is yeah. minimal, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was seconded out to the foundation and that was the point at which we developed Inspiring Scotland. So I worked on the development of that as a co-founder of Inspiring Scotland and it spun out of the, the, the foundation in which it started. I then left the civil service at that point and moved firmly into Inspiring Scotland. And we took that on an exciting arc of we started, I think, with six staff that were working on it initially. And when I left, there were 60. And I think it was a turnover of around 35 million. Which so we we'd we, 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 we not done badly over just a bit more than a decade. So the aim, what what was it and what, what sort of gave you the fire in the belly? Did you have a fire in the belly, should I say? Or what gave you the, the vision for inspiring Scotland? I think, I think, it, I don't, it, yes, there was fire in the belly. The fire in the belly was frustration. Yeah. That everyone was trying to do good things and generally speaking, not changing the dial very much with an awful lot of effort and quite a lot of money. But it felt, I suppose, in a way, it actually was more inspirational as I thought that there was an environment in which we could create something. Yeah. We, we had an environment both with government, in the philanthropic environment, with the with some trusts that we were, were started off in, which at that time was Lloyd's TSB Foundation for Scotland. It was, a, it was an enabling space and people were willing to take some long-term... The, the risks weren't huge, to be blunt, but to take enough risk to give something the space and give it its head. Yeah. And I think that's what gave me the energy about it, was other people being well, willing enough, if not to bet on it, to actually get out of the way. But there, so you knew, you, you could see that the energy was there. Yeah, the, poten the, time, the potential the was there. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. the thinking made sense. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of checking with people. Yeah. And... In some ways, it was really quite simple. It was what are the difficulties that the voluntary sector has of short-term funding, not funding into core, and not really measuring impact at that time. It was a while back now. And just doing the opposite. Yeah. You know, I mean, in some ways, it was not that complicated to design. But that's a mind shift, isn't it? Again, so not for you, but you've got, got that. But even though it's not that complicated to design, it's also people are so used to... Being in a certain I, I way. think there's something about me where I do see the world in a different way. Yeah. And sometimes I take that for granted. Yeah. And I don't understand why other people aren't seeing it the way I'm seeing it because it kind of looks blindingly obvious to yeah. me. So I do have, I'm, I'm lucky enough to look at the world in a way that I think most people don't look at it. And that's useful. And do you, would you say, how would you describe that? Would you say that it's a, something that other people might be overwhelmed by its complexity 
you can actually see it in its simplest form. Yeah, I think so. And I think something, some of that may be about taking a science degree into a social policy space is that in a science degree, critical thinking is absolutely to the fore. So you mm-hmm. can't make any assumptions. You always take all the numbers apart, you take the whole thing apart, go back to basics and you test everything. And it's it's kind of the and what next and what next and what's behind that and what's behind that. And I think that we sometimes get very, things get very clouded. There's too much input. And actually a lot of that can is is of is it's short term fuzzy irrelevance. And if you can get rid of that out of the way and see what the core issues are, you can start to put those together. But yeah. I think I also seem to have something about almost pattern spotting. Yeah. That I can see different elements. Connecting the dots. And I can and... see how those could join together. Yeah. And I think some of that also is about about not getting I mean I can do detail and I can do it in quite some detail but it's about having the confidence to really step back so that you can see the pattern dive into the so data when you need to yeah and yeah and giving your time self the time and headspace I think probably your experience has in a big system will also have informed that world view so I remember on reflection when you know when I first went to inspiring Scotland and working for you Excuse the noise in the background. My neighbour's working in his shed <laughs> with a big iron wheel thing, a big grinder. Mm. Um, that when we talked about Scottish government, for instance, you know, in my head, and I know with a lot of other new people, it's like, well, that's just it's just one mass. Mm. And then it's like, actually, no, this is the complexity of Scottish government. And so this is how you need to think about it. Um, and there are lots of different areas, which in you know retrospect it's like well of course that's the case <laughs> nothing would ever work but having gone through that I can imagine therefore and and now that I've gone through it, I think I suppose it's easier to go well actually you now know there are more dots to connect than you would have done yeah. had you not been yeah. in that situation and I think that it's that ability to sort of mentally take things apart and see what they're actually made of rather than kind of giving yourself the fear and not being yeah. able to come near it because it all just looks too complicated. And I'm just starting somewhere yeah. and kind of opening the box and looking what's in it and taking bits out. And that is another aspect of it, I suppose. There's that bold boldness of being able to go, well, it's not working what's happening at the moment, so why don't we just go and just mm. take a look and see which, mm. you know, and actually it, it did, that did very much happen. So what things did you see in terms of the connecting the dots or thinking ahead, particularly for something like Inspiring Scotland? What can you remember? Can you take yourself back there and think, okay, these are the things we've really got to think about as we move on? I think it was it was going I mean we we have all this jargon, don't we, in this field about horizons and arcs and phases and everything. For me, it was being being able to move and hold in your head the, the the small horizon and the big horizon, and being able to ping pong between them at the right moments. Yeah. Because if you get too too swallowed up by the day to day, you'll lose the, the the momentum or the idea of the bigger picture, and you'll lose confidence and energy. But if you spend your entire time at the abstract strategic level. Bluntly, you'll never get anything done. No. And it's all just 
hot air and puff. You can't bring that, anyone with stage. you. Yeah. So it's about being able to skip between the two. Yeah. And know when you need to be in which one. Yeah. And you're probably now going to ask me, how do you know? <laughs> and as I'm talking, I'm thinking, how did I know? And, I and was it, that a discipline, do you think, that did you, was that instinctual or do you think you, you I, I had think to force yourself into I think for me it probably was instinctual because I'd done some big projects. Yeah. At the Scottish Government, I'd done a £50 million fund, Working for Families Fund, that I was involved in designing. So I think probably I'd, I'd kind of learnt it from experience. I think it's probably something you can actually learn yeah. and just make sure that you check in. Yeah. You know, and I think that when I work with clients, I work a lot on them having the discipline to come back at regular intervals and do the higher order thinking. Yeah. Because the operational issues, they are always going to come and bite you. Yeah. You're not going to leave them behind no. or forget about them. They'll be in your inbox. They'll be on your mobile. They'll be with the next person who speaks to you in the office. But what happens is that, and I've seen this time and time again, is that you have a meeting that's a, a weekly or monthly meeting that's supposed to look at the higher order element and something has happened. Yeah. So you go, oh, well, we'll just deal with this. Yeah, yeah, it takes yeah. up the hour or the morning. And then you go, oh, well, no, well, we'll do this next week or in the next quarter or whatever. And then at the next time it happens again. Yeah. And I think that actually it's about holding that discipline for the higher order elements is lock the other stuff out. Yeah. Because it will come and find you. You don't need to worry about that in any matter whatsoever. So, so it is that discipline to be operating in the two spaces. Actually, I think I, I can reflect that that is an experience I have as well. So people that I work with are all, always quite relieved to have the opportunity to go, God, we've, you know, we'd never have protected this space mm. had mm. we not have, you know, sort of yeah. done this together. And then it then it's a safe space to go, right, let's think vision. Cause uh, you, you, yeah. And I think, I mean, this might be a you would say this, wouldn't you? But I think for a lot of people in, in organisations, and I know that things aren't easy at the moment, but they see the price of getting someone external in yeah. as quite high. But actually, it, it's the price of not doing it, of not creating that space, of not protecting that yeah. space, of not doing that bigger or higher order thinking. That will cost you in the end. Yeah. You might save a few hundred pounds in the short term yeah. right, by not getting a, a Kirsty or a Helen or a whoever along, but it will come and bite you yeah, if, yeah. if you don't if you don't use that invest in yourself and use that tool of another person yeah. to help you have the discipline to just just hold you in the space that yeah. you, you need to be in at yeah. that point. No, absolutely. I I do think that there's value in that. And and it's it is, yeah. It's. It, I think it's the safety of the space, isn't it? Mm. To know that you can just be, be who who you are, and and be challenged in a in a positive way. Interestingly, you were a leader. You were the founder. A founder. You co-founder. Should I say? <laughs> Many other people on the journey. <clears throat> co-founder, but actually, you you decided and made a, a, the positive decision not to actually be the CEO. Or, or a leader in, in that sense, that you, that you were always there because you were deputy CEO in the, in the last few years. And which is, is brilliant because that really turns on its head, I think, what a lot of people's concepts are of founders and, and, and leaders. 
but you were able to focus on the strategy and be able to sort of drive that strategic thinking. I, I think, I mean, it's interesting interesting to reflect upon. I mean, I have quite a, an issue around this kind of, and we're still very much in this space, around the, the hero leader, yeah, the saviour, the person who's going to invent the thing or run the agency or whatever. And I think that that is such profound nonsense, mm-hmm. is that, yes, sometimes you need it, you, you often need a figurehead figure, but but nothing gets done without the team. Yeah. And actually having an awesome idea, all it is is an awesome idea. Yeah. And very few people can deliver an awesome idea all by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I get a bit cross when we kind of really kind of privilege individuals by giving them prizes and naming them the this, that and whatever yeah. fellow for something or other. And and, you know, and some of these people, they are special and they are very motivating and very inspirational, but actually they're, they're, they're nothing without a very good implementing yeah, team. absolutely. Uh, and I think that you can see that all across probably every country in the world um, about how it's teams that have made a difference. And I think it's about playing to your strengths and, yeah. and where you're comfortable at. And I think we're very stuck on having the, the labels of the leadery type person, the deputy leadery type person, yes. the this that type person. Who should I speak whatever. to next? And it's like, well, well, you know, it needs a team, and some of those do need very technical functions, like around finance. You need someone who yeah. actually is Knows. <laughs> from financial background. But I think we get very hung up on hierarchy. Yeah. Um, you know, and you do need hierarchy in the end around accountability. But away from accountability lines, and I hope that we don't operate our daily lives on accountability lines, it is it is about collective groups of people making a difference and their strengths need to come out at different times yeah. and come to the fore. And in the early days with Andrew, you know, Andrew sometimes had to come out and be and be them his most Andrewish and he was brilliant and, and got stuff over the line. And then I had different spaces in which I played my strengths and other people played their strengths. Um, so I think it is very much more kind of almost a volleyball team yeah, rather than this kind of like this hierarchy yeah, of, yeah. of the person at the top and it's the person that, yeah. that, that is known for, for, for delivering something. And it's actually, that's just ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really good point that, again, I don't think that many people give themselves time to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about this before, even on their own sort of career progression thinking about that of, of what what that label is and, and and status and and team thinking so what did you feel that you needed to overcome on your leadership journey I mean what and, and I I say that not as what your label was <laughs> but as a co-founder who had a vision and was very clear about what needed to be sold so on a on a personal level, what what did you feel you needed to overcome at that point? I found this very a very interesting question, and I'm going to have to very carefully answer it in case I sound like a real unself-aware idiot. So let's see whether this will work. I think what I had to overcome to an extent was some lack of privilege. There's a lot of people in the spaces that I was working in or working with who had had a relatively um, easy kind of travelator experience through life, through yeah. 
possibly and quite often had gone to private school and then a good university and then had the networks and then know, know how to behave in certain spaces yeah. and the kind of culture of the big money spaces or the culture of government. And I come, I have very many privileges, you know, I'm, I'm white, relatively able-bodied, you know, there are folk that have had much, much, much harder struggles and continue to have harder struggles than I have. But I some I often felt that I was having to run like mad when other people were on a kind of uh, um, probably overusing the metaphor, but a travelator alongside me that wasn't wasn't going. You know, was giving them an extra bit of a boost. Mm, yeah. So I often felt that I was like really having to perform to not even one hundred and ten percent, but a kind of one hundred and sixty percent. Yeah. To make okay. up for the fact that I'm a woman. I didn't go to private school. I didn't go to a fa- I did go to uni, but I didn't go to a fancy uni. I'm obviously not any member of any of the fancy clubs in Edinburgh or, or, or that kind of community. And I'm a, a bit of an outsider, probably. So I might be overcompensating. Yeah. But I felt that when I w- walked into a room, I really had to work on making presence. Yeah. Because other people were given pre- presence mm-hmm. because of who yeah. they were. And there yeah. are, you know, if you work with the venture capital guys in London, they literally are all about seven foot tall and they have the most immaculate suits when they look like someone polished them before every meeting. And like attracts like. So if you're not, if you're in a room full of people like that, they will walk towards people who look like themselves. Yes. So you kind of have to really overperform without looking like some sort of idiotic performing monkey. <laughs> um, and that's probably either both my either my perception that mm-hmm. I had to overcome it and I would I would take that but also I had to I had to really own my space yeah even if I didn't feel it at the time and do things like I actively as a, as a woman going into a room often with men is I won't be helpful mm-hmm. I won't pour the coffee I won't move furniture I won't put the pens out unless it's my job to set up you know that I'm hosting the meeting yeah, yeah, yeah. and I've come and I'm doing that because I didn't ever want to be, you know, I like, you know, men have asked me whether I'm the secretary mm-hmm. or could I take in a message from my boss when I was the boss? Yeah. Um, or would you mind just going and getting the tea or, you know, the, the trolley of tea and coffee is, is, is wheeled in and everyone looks assumptively at you because you're the <laughs> only woman in the room. So I very much had to really think about who I was being in some spaces. I think that's a really, really good point. And I I reflect on myself that I think I am probably always the first one to, to try and fill the gaps yeah. when there's something there that I think, oh, this isn't going to be, you know, I need, I need to do that. I need to go and make the tea or... Yeah, it's like it's not my job make this to make everyone feel comfortable. Yeah, I think that's such a good tip. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> around me in the future is going to feel so uncomfortable. I mean, I think, you know, they're... There are other times when it's absolutely the thing to do. Yes. Is to be the host and be warm. But it's reading the room, isn't it? invite people in. But you have to, you consciously need to choose when you're playing what role. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really good point for everybody, actually, in, in that particular situation. Brilliant. So when thinking about strategy... And, and work what gives you the most energy people yeah 
is that I love being in a, in a room with a small group, not too many, of entrepreneurial impact driven, whether that's, you know, impact in the broadest sense of that word and and people with a sense of humour, people yeah. who can do it with a bit of a light touch as well. You know, serious stuff doesn't always have to be serious. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, and that's why I love it. I love that energy in the room. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm naturally an introvert, so I do have to go and go away and recharge myself and look in books and sit and think about things and be quiet and wander in woods and all the rest of it. But actually in that moment with a small group of really yeah. focused people, or even very unfocused sometimes because yeah. that's what's the fun and I'm there to bring the focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what. Or really that you know me. that you know what the impact that could be yeah. if I the mean, people in the room become I mean, focused. Yeah, and and sometimes you know, I mean, in in strategy, there's the double diamond. You know, you start from focus point and then go out and then refocus and then go yeah. out again. Sometimes you 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 need to do the glee yeah, yeah, of yeah. letting it all go. And letting it all come out, and all the zany and brilliant and yeah, bad ideas, like fantastic and stupid ideas, and then start sorting through them. Yeah, but it is that energy when you've got bright, motivated people. Yeah, I, I just love that. No, I, I have to say I'm exactly the same, and that's what makes me tick. I think it's the connection that you can really see when a you can connect with the individuals, mm. but also when you can see them connecting yeah. with the vision, and then you can see how actually it could work and then you can see yeah. their energy and the clarity of how it could work and i've done a lot of thinking about how different styles of people operate in those spaces and when i'm talking about energy and a lot of ideas you're probably in your head imagining people standing up with a flip chart banging out ideas all over the place sometimes there's a there's a real beauty depth of energy when the room goes still or an individual goes still and you can see that they're going to a new place in their yeah. thinking. And and it's about creating spaces in which you can give space for that kind of creativity yeah, as well as the very dynamic, physical yeah. kind of creativity, yeah. which I think we always think is as creative as that, that literally moving about energy. Yeah. But often some of the strongest energy is some of that time when it comes really Actually, from inside quite, people yeah, yeah. and they process something and go on to another yeah. another place and it, it again it's that shift and it is it can be transformation i think transformation is a word that tends to get overused but it's it is amazing when you can see someone actually going through that well i think there's an interesting thing about allowing time and allowing stillness and allowing silence at the right points yeah because at the beginning of a conversation all the usual stuff comes out yeah and if you stop then You've only got all the usual stuff. Yeah. And actually it's the next layer yes, and the next absolutely. layer and the next layer that, that's the interesting yeah, yeah, element yeah. of it. Because at any day you can just write down the first five things that come out of your mouth. And that's why you need the space to do it. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, yeah. if you don't have that time, then mm-hmm. then it is just the first yeah. five things that comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And it's just a hurried hurried thing but there is there's a magic i mean i talk about it as being i said before about the fire in the belly but also there's the hair in the back of your neck mm-hmm. where you know when actually something has happened because everybody just goes mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. and that is just incredible and i think mm-hmm. that's what yeah absolutely so we're just coming to to a close here but what top three things would you say to any leader who wants to make a difference okay well, you've known me for quite a long time, so you never go with the first number in a negotiation. 
so I'm not doing top three. I've got four. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you four. <laughs> I might add it one out. I think. I think. I mean, it touches on a number of things that we've already talked about today. But I think there's something about pace. People aren't machines, and especially right now, people have had a tough three or four years, yeah. and it's not getting any easier. And I think I've heard people who've been instructed to sweat their assets. And it's like, really, I think our assets are sweaty enough. Thank you very much. And it's not kind. And I think that we kind of, there's this expectation that if we care, we need to drive hard. And if it gets harder, we need to drive harder. And if it gets harder, we need to drive harder. And actually, you you can't do that. You you, you can't do that. And whether that's on a long-term running an organisation or on a major project, it's just, it's not okay, actually, for for yourself. I mean, yourself, definitely, but also for others. So I think you need to be able to build in ebb and flow and actually not think that the whole project or programme or organisation, that the wheels are all going to fall off the bus if you have a couple of weeks that aren't at 190 million percent. (laughs) So I think that if you are a leader, lead and lead by example. Don't just tell people that that's what they ought to do. And yes, they have permission to have a day that's a bit easier. But, you know, literally walk the talk, get yeah. get out of inverted commas, the office. Yeah. And tell people that is what you are doing and why you are doing it. it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that because human beings work at different paces at different times and yeah. they break really if you use them at the same pace all the time. So people who care will drive through that so it's your responsibility to to to, to look over that and yeah. actually be in control of it as much as possible i think there's an element of bringing humor and fun mm-hmm. into things you know i said before it's just that because things are serious you don't have to do them seriously you know 100 percent of the time there are times when it is not appropriate to bring yeah. humor into some of the social issues in scotland but i think a lightness of touch brings energy and it brings creativity. Yeah. So I think, and just having a sense of humour about yourself as well. Yes. I think, I think you know, so important. Uh, is, is important. And, and the, you know, when people are working hard, laughing releases an awful lot of strain mm. and stress. Self-awareness, I, th- I think, is extremely important. You need to know what's your style what are your strengths? You know, I mean, this sort of stuff you can read it in the books, but what do you need to backfill? When do you need to back off? When are you not in the right space mm. or, a, or a good space? When are you at your optimum? If you know that in the year you are on fire between April and July, then that is when you just go for it. Yeah. You know, and then catch up with other things later on. And And I think that, I think that that you can you can get into a bit of a kind of monomaniac down a train line about things, and you're not really aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. And potentially people will either protect you or protect themselves by not telling you things. Yeah. And I think you need to be aware and self-aware. And I think that the final thing, and I should use my words carefully here, is that just because your intent is good, that that doesn't give you permission to behave insert rude word stroke badly (laughs) i think that that you can get people in in when they're talking about social impact that they think because the thing that they are doing matters gives them permission 
to be overbearing, rude, obnoxious, bullying, short-tempered. Yeah. And actually, you, you don't have permission to do that just no. because you care about something. Now, I'm quite sure that your, your, as I say, your readership, your listenership are not like that. Yeah. But I think sometimes when we really care about stuff, that does slightly give us a little bit of permission to do no, that's a towards really, that really behaviour. And yeah. I think it doesn't. And it shouldn't be forgiven. No. Because no, of that as well, like isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I think that we we don't always get things right. I'm sure yeah. I can look at many things in my career and just go, Oh my goodness me, what on earth are you doing? And you know, hopefully you know i can forgive other people and other people can forgive me but it connects back to that that self-awareness yeah and just know what effect you are having around you yeah be aware of that no that's been fantastic helen thank you so much it's brilliant that we have given ourselves the time to have a really good chat about strategy yes. which i don't think we've had a chat no. about strategy no, not for, for a while. that not length for a while. of time not for a while yeah and so yeah and thank you so much because i've i have learned even more from you and just about how you've come to where um where you are now and i think that's it's just been really enlightening and some of the thought processes that, that you have and, and that you've been talking about today I think have been really valuable so thank you well thank you and it's always good to have these questions because it makes you actually think about what you really do believe yes so I appreciate exactly. that too thank you so here's to making a difference yes indeed. let's go <laughs> Oliver Oliver <laughs> If you have any thoughts, comments or questions, please find me on Instagram, links in the show notes, and please also subscribe and review. Thank you for listening to Making the Difference.